Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Durhaj. Hi everyone, it's uh, Roxanne Hodge of the Authentic Connection Movement. Thanks for tuning in again. Uh, this week I have uh, a, one of my, I would say your mom is one of my dear friends, Angela Kelly's uh, daughter, Mariah Ke- Kelly. Um, and Mariah has uh, done some phenomenal things um, with her life, I think, it, with uh, the limited amount of years that she's been on this earth. Uh, Mariah is, um, you know, has been a runner, um, quite young into her life and she's at the point where she's um, training for the Olympics. So Mariah, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So Mariah, you know, uh, i tell you a little bit about her background. She's originally from uh, Niagara Falls and now she's in, uh, you're in Victoria, BC, correct Mariah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Mariah started off um, running. I, I remember your mom and I would talk and, and your mom would go running and you'd be on your rollerblades and you, your mom would say, oh, she didn't want to go for much of a run today. And then there was a point where you, you started just into it and there was a spot that you just really kind of started to focus really, really young on running. Yeah. Um, do you remember that point? Because I, I interviewed your mom last week and she talked a little bit about that. But you know what? Maybe I'll have you tell everyone how you kind of started in, on this path and where you've gotten to so far. Yeah, um, I, I did listen to my mom's interview. It was great. Um, I don't really remember uh, being sort of young and doing the rollerblading stuff and not really being into it. But I do remember um, having a, a natural ability with running and discovering that at a pretty young age, but not really taking it seriously or being that into it. And then when I was 15 years old in high school, I had uh, the opportunity to run in my first OFSA championship and that sort of sparked the fire of wanting to be better at it and see how good I could be. And that's when I just really started committing myself and dedicating myself to doing the work. And it no longer was someone had to push me. It was more someone had to hold me back. (laughs) So your mom said that uh, from such a young age, once you kind of, she said you were trying to find your passion and that, uh, you know, I know Joe had found hockey prior to that and he was kind of doing that. And she said, she remember you kind of trying to say, what, 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 what am I into? What am I into? And then you found running and then you just pivoted from that point on. And then she said, um, yes, there was a point where your, your dad and her had to kind of move you along, but then not too long after that, that you just completely focused on, on goals yeah, my uh, my mom and dad were never super pushy in, in anything with my brother and I. Like, they just wanted us to sort of explore all the sports we could. And if we found some some passion or joy in what we were doing, then they were totally supportive of where we wanted to take that. But they were never, you know, you have to do it this way or you have to do this, you have to do that. They sort of just let us find our own way. And for me, like, Honestly, it it felt like it happened overnight. Like one day it just clicked 
And I decided that I wanted to be good at this and I wanted to know what it took to be good at it. And I was dedicated to doing whatever it took, if that makes sense. So your mom talked uh, a lot about that you, you had a lot of structure, right? So how did you kind of, you're young and, you know, she said that you were methodical, you know, and you just had a, a structured way that you did things. Um, so tell, how did, how did you kind of learn about that? Yeah, I think I, I'm a little bit of a, a psychopath when it comes to that kind of stuff. I feel like I was always um, watching the best in the sport and trying to figure out how they were doing what they were doing. And if I thought that something they were doing could help me, then I stuck onto it like glue and, and just did it. And I think that was a disadvantage to me at times because I would push myself too hard. But in a lot of ways, it was great because it got me to where I am today. But yeah, if I felt like something was going to lead me to success, then I was going to do it no matter how hard it was. So sometimes you said you would, you'd look at the best, which I, what a better kind of template to find out what, what you needed to do. And, but sometimes you'd push yourself a little bit too hard. So how did you kind of reconcile between, I know I have to work really, really hard to get better, but I got to watch burnout. How did you kind of learn the kind of the, the tricks in between to find that, that spot, that sweet spot? Yeah, I think, um, honestly, I am super lucky that I was born with a robust body because I was a psychopath for the majority of my career and just sort of running through brick walls and didn't really care who told me to slow down. Like I was just going to run through that brick wall because I thought that was the way to go. And it wasn't until I joined the Olympic Development Group here in Victoria that I met a coach who finally put an end to that and was, you know, would say to me, like, I'm not going to coach you if you train this way. And so, you know, it, it became a situation where I had no choice but to change and actually become a student of the sport and start to not only recognize what was going to be something I needed to do in order to get to the next level, but respect my own boundaries and and give my body a break when it needed it and not just go to the well every day, which was what I did my entire career up until 2016. Wow, that's amazing. So here you are, it was just full of tenaciousness. You're gonna do it regardless of what's happening. And then you start to get the right guidance along the way. So for, you know, I think of you and for so many young people, they have goals, Mariah. And, you know, I know in today's, today's world, uh, a lot of young people have so many pressures about achieving. And, and, you know, I often say that in my time, there was less pressure by social media. There was less comparison. Um, I would say that a lot more connection at home, um, a lot more grounding potentially, comparatively speaking of today. So for young people that are maybe listening and have a goal and they're wanting to get better at it, what kind of tips would you give them about, you know, following that passion or achieving a goal? Um, I think the biggest tip I could give from my own experience is that 
It is wonderful to look at those who have accomplished the goal you're trying to achieve and want to be like them. But it is one thing to take inspiration from them and to measure yourself against them. And I think to find inspiration in what they're doing is a great thing to do. But to measure yourself against them is not. Because everyone has their own path to success. And the way someone gets there is going to be totally different from the way you get there. And for me, the best motivation I've ever had in my career was being able to measure my success against myself. Mm -hmm. And whether or not I was able to bring my best on that day. Even if it wasn't my best overall or my best that I'd ever done, was it my best that day? And if I can say that at the end of every training day, then I know I'm moving forward and getting closer to my goals. But if I try to compare it to my other training partners or my competitors, then I just always feel like I'm never getting anywhere. So being able to respect where you are, but also willing to take the challenge of taking yourself where you want to go. So I would think that that would be kind of the defining factor, right? So kind of think of the pressures that we all have today, right? You, you know, something happens, it's automatically on Twitter and it's live and, and, and you know, you, the races that happen and you find out, you know, so-and-so just did it in this amount of time or did it better or, you know, we're flooded with all that information. And, and what you're saying is you're actually seeing the opposite. You're saying, don't compare. Well, that's, yeah. that's easier said than done, right? Because out there, we're consistently comparing over and over and over, even though we're trying to tell people not to compare. So how did you kind of make that switch? Like what kind of, was it coaching? Was it something internally that you did to, to make sure that you weren't comparing, um, but were just kind of competing within yourself? I don't think I've made the switch. I think that it's very difficult to just one day say, oh, I'm no longer going to compare. I think that it's something I have to remind myself every day and more so be take the responsibility of being aware of when I am making that comparison and remind myself that that's not the way to go and that I need to look within and see if I am making the improvements within myself that I need to make and just sort of readjust my, my thinking. But it is still something I do on a regular basis. It's impossible not to compare yourself. But I think as long as you're able to recognize when you're doing it and make that shift, then it just becomes a thought instead of a, a mindset. So you're, you're constantly having to monitor that. And I would think that probably you do a lot of cognitive things to be able to do that. Is there, are there some things that you've learned with, I'm, I'm sure you have a sports psychologist that you work with or a mindset coach. What kind of things have they taught you that you actually apply on an ongoing basis just to make sure? Because like, you're right, to have a mind means that we compare. You're right. We can't get away from those 60,000 thoughts in a day. And a lot of them are negative thoughts, unfortunately. But there's a way that you could kind of divert them. So can you share some of the ways that you do that? Yes, I am working with um, a sports psych. His name's John Coleman. And he's been truly such a game changer for me. I think the greatest tool he's taught me is an ability to have a heightened awareness. And so instead of being judgmental with all the mind chatter, which like you said, is impossible not to have, 
I've learned to be aware of it and to more so see it as, as background noise and not see it as if I think negatively, not to judge myself on that thought, but just to see it as a thought and be able to take that thought and just accept it for what it is and move forward in the moment, knowing that I'm bigger than the thought I'm having at that moment. And I always say to my clients, um, it's like, it's like, I'm not going to invest in that thought. So every time I take in that negative thought, I give it power but if I kind of look at it and, and I, the analogy that I use is it's like a, I'm in a train carriage and it's like a, a cloud fo- floating by. I acknowledge it. I know it's happened, but I just kind of look at going past versus every t- if every time you attach to it, to your point, you make it bigger and bigger. And then that becomes where you focus. Yes, exactly. And I find too, like a lot of people say, you know, when you're being negative, you just need to tell yourself not to be that way. Well, I don't really agree with that. I think that sometimes when you're negative, you just, you're negative. And if you try to tell yourself not to be, it just makes it worse. So I've found that in my experience, if I'm feeling negative one day or I'm just down, I just accept that I'm down Mm -hmm. and, and I give myself permission to be down and I just let it pass. Like you said, like a cloud in the sky. And so it doesn't become such a big deal. So tell us about this training camp, because I'm, you know, I'm fat. I mean, of course, your mom keeps me updated. I'm, I see you on Instagram and I, I see all this, like these wicked pictures and the, the, the apparatus and all that stuff that you guys tell, you know, for anybody listening, um, first of all, I'm proud to say I know you and I know your mom and you're from Chippewa, which is where I live. So just tell them about that path. Like you, when you went from Niagara and then you went off, obviously, to Baylor on a fully uh, paid scholarship. And tell them the, the steps that you took after that and kind of you now being at the uh, Olympic training camp, because I, I, that I would love to hear more about. I'm sure people listening would love to hear about it, too. Yeah, so um, my life has sort of been a pattern that's just grown in the same way. When I was in high school, I was a good track athlete, but I wasn't a standout track athlete. So in order to get to Baylor, I had to sell myself. And so the first thing I did in high school was I made a little athlete resume and I sent it to the top 50 academic and athletic schools in the US. And I just would not take no for an answer and wanted to be at one of those schools. And I I happened to land that. And To be totally fair, I received a full scholarship when really I didn't deserve it on paper, but I made, I made sure that by the end of my five years at Baylor, I was more than deserving of the scholarship. And it was the same way after university. Like I was nowhere near world-class. I was the top, near the top of the NCAA. I had placed 10th, which was my highest finish, but I wasn't people weren't looking at me and saying, oh, she's going to be a world-class competitor. So of course, in that moment, it would have been easier for me to bow out and say, you know what, I'm going to go to medical school and continue my studies and let running go. But I still had the passion and I still had the desire. So I went on the selling streak again and sought out different professional groups. And I just came across uh, the West Hub and honestly had never considered coming back to Canada because I didn't think there were resources that were going to help me reach the world-class level. 
But when I'd met Heather and I'd seen what the West Hub was about, I just had this gut feeling that it was the place for me. And I, I committed to it. It's sort of blindly, like there was no support being offered. And it was a total jump into like a dark hole, hoping that there was some light at the end of the tunnel. But it happened to work out. And the only thing I knew I was going to do when I had committed to moving out here was give it absolutely everything I had. And I just knew that if I did that, I would be happy with the outcome. And so far, you know, it's been great. And I'm now on the cusp of being world class. And so I have made a huge jump. So when you kind of think of that, right, that, that term, I'm on the cusp of world, being world class, I'm thinking, wow, like, that's got to be overwhelming at times, like when you sit with that thought, because it's huge. It's, you're, you're, there's so much still in tow. But look at how you, like you've said, you didn't take no for an answer, like you, regardless, right? No, I can do this. No, no, I'm going to find where I need to go. And you kind of, I'm going to say blindly at times, went where you wanted to go, regardless of the barriers that were in your way. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, like, I, I've had to take the same kind of leaps each, each uh, different transition, like from high school to college, it was a huge leap from college to this level has been a huge leap. And now I'm trying to take the biggest leap of my career, which is going from the cusp of world-class to being world-class. And every leap I attempt is, is harder and it requires more discipline, more hard work, tougher mindset, more resilience. And so honestly, like, I, I think that this career is a lot like any career you could go after in life. Like it just, it's about, how much you're willing to take without bowing out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's talk about resilience and getting ready for the Olympics. Cause I, I want to hear about that. And I could just imagine, I'm just envision every leap you had to take, how much it must've taken out of you. And now between now and it's it, when the training goes all the way up till next, how far into just before the Olympics. So the Olympic team will be decided about two weeks before the opening ceremony. So basically, I'll have to be in my best fitness by Canadian Nationals, which will be the end of June of next year. Okay. And then my peak fitness by the Olympics. Wow. So tell me what that involves. Like, can you give me like a snapshot of a day or a week? Just because I'm, I'm curious and I'm sure people listening are thinking, Wow. What, what does that involve? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, it, it's not just this year. I've been building and preparing for this final year throughout this entire quadrennial. So each year has sort of built upon itself and we've always done like more volume, more intensity. Everything's gotten harder every year. It's not been like, oh, things are getting easier now. No, things are at the hardest they've ever been. Um, but to give people an idea of what my training looks like, I train seven days a week. Um, I mostly train, I definitely train every day, but there are times when I train up to three times in a day. Um, it involves typically on Mondays is our easier day. So we'll do either a cross training session or a stability rehab session and maybe just an easy run. 
Um, Tuesdays are our workout days. So we'll have a big session in the morning and then an easier shakeout in the afternoon. Wednesdays are our weight room days. We will be lifting super heavy in the weight room. And then we'll have two runs and a cross training session wow. on those days. Thursdays wow. are our medium days. So we'll either have a longer run with a little bit of a workout and then cross training in the afternoon and some just rehab after that. Um, Fridays are typically another workout day where we'll hit it really hard in the morning, another run in the afternoon. Saturdays, we go into the weight room again. We do two runs and a cross training session. Sundays wow. are our long run days. So we'll run anywhere from 70 to 100 minutes and there'll be some sort of pickup in that run. And then typically after that, the rest of the day is about recovering from the week and getting ready for that next cycle. And wow. typically we work in four to six week cycles where um, either three of the four weeks are extremely difficult and the fourth week is a bit easier. And um, respectfully, if it's six weeks, then it would be five of the six weeks is extremely difficult. And then that sixth week is in a recovery week. Wow. I'm dizzy just listening to it. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. I'll usually cover from 90 to 130K throughout wow. those weeks. Amazing. So I'm typically, like, it wouldn't be abnormal for me to hit 400K or more in a month. Wow. <laughs> and, and, in, and in there, I'm, I'm going to assume... Um, you're working with the mental, the mental part of things too, along with the physical training. Yeah. So that doesn't include, um, the treatment. I'll be getting treatment, um, at least twice a week, which would be massage and physio. And then I'll do mental performance every day on my own and see a mental performance specialist at least twice a month. Wow. Wow. So let's talk, I want your perspective on resilience right? Based on what, where you've come and where you're going. And, you know, if you were to kind of say to someone that your, your definition of resilience, because you're living it, how would you describe resilience? That's a great question. I feel like resilience isn't necessarily, you know, never giving up because there have been moments in my career or even in in a workout or a race where I have briefly or entirely given up. It's about being able to look at those moments and be brutally honest with yourself and be able to say, you know what, that day I gave up and why'd I give up and how can I make it so that next time I don't give up? It's wanting to improve on those moments when you're at your weakest. And the only way you can do that is by recognizing that you were at your weakest in that moment. And I think for a lot of people, it's difficult to own that. And so for me, resilience has been about looking at the weakest parts of myself and accepting them for what they are and seeing them as being a strength if I'm able to accept them as a weakness. So not to ignore them, because a lot of times when we talk about resilience, we talk about dusting off, getting up and keeping going. But what you're suggesting is you're almost talking about, um, I, we all have weaknesses. Yeah. So don't gloss over them. 
Look at them for what they are. If you need to sit in it for a bit, do that. Yeah. And then learn from it and then go again. Yeah, exactly. Like I I was actually um, interviewed not too long ago and we were talking about some of my training partners and, and I have training partners that are way stronger than me in certain aspects of our training program. And it would be so easy for me to just beat myself up whenever they, they drop me or they do something better. But instead I get psyched. Like I get so excited because (laughs) I just know that they're motivating me and pushing me to a level that I wouldn't be able to go if I didn't have them there. Mm -hmm. And so just because you're not as good at, as, at something as someone else doesn't mean it's a weakness. It's an opportunity to be better. Mm -hmm. And so I just sort of see resilience as seeing those as opportunities to close a gap. I like that. Opportunities to close. That's a really nice way to put it. Now let's talk about support because I'm going to say to have gotten where you've gotten with your natural skill and ability, um, you had to have had a lot of support along the way and continuing support. So talk a little bit about support and how that has helped you along the way and maybe at times not helped you. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Like I, from the very beginning, you know, I've had super supportive family members. My mom and dad have always been on board to help me get to where I want to go from high school. You know, they put me into Niagara regional athletics and all of my coaches there were on board to help me get to the, the highest level. And then when I got to university, my coach there took a chance on me and gave me a scholarship, which allowed me the opportunity to go where I wanted to go there. And, and then coming here, you know, my, my coach here gave me an opportunity to show her that I was worthy of what she gave me. And beyond that, the community in Niagara Falls supported me in 2016 to, to start this quadrennial. And now they're supporting me again to finish it. So there is absolutely no way I could do this alone. I, I'm not an island. I'm a person with a ginormous team behind me. And so, you know, although I am alone on the track and I am alone when it comes up on the result page, but it, it doesn't feel that way to me. I, I feel like I'm a part of a huge community and it makes it so special to feel like I have a big team. Now, I know that um, this Sunday, which... Uh, the podcast will probably air after that, but I'm, I and uh, some of my, my families, they're going, we're going in a, a golf tournament to support Mariah. Mariah, but I know you also have a GoFundMe page that I'm sure people listening um, would love to probably help you out. So I would like you to um, share that GoFundMe page. And I, we will also put a link in so that anybody that's wanting to support you as a Canadian athlete, somebody here for local from Niagara or just from Ontario um, or across Canada or anywhere, because this will probably go uh, across internationally that they could um, go online and help you out. Yep. There is a GoFundMe page. Um, I have the link live on my Facebook and I think I have provided it on my other social media accounts as well, but uh, yeah, it's pretty accessible and simple to offer donations. And of course, anything that is, being offered is extremely um, special to me and I'm super grateful for any support anyone wants to give. So 
in, in closing, um, any last words that you have for kids out there? Because I know like we talked a little bit about the pressures um, or for other athletes or people in business that are out there kind of, you know, schlepping day in, day out to get to a goal. What, what last words do you have before I kind of let you go about um, resilience and achievement? I guess my, my best advice, and I mean, I haven't reached my destination yet, but my best advice from my experience is remember that you are your, your greatest supporter and also your worst enemy. So if you can choose between the two, choose to be your number one fan, because at the end of the day, you're the only one that can take you to where you want to go. And so if you're going to be anything, be a number one fan. I like that. Number one fan. So everyone, um, when you're struggling and you fall down and you will, because we all do and we try to achieve goals, recognize, sit with it. Sometimes like Mariah said, cry about it, have a day off. Um, and, and unplug and then sit and understand what is that part of you telling you in your weakness to gain strength from it. Don't look at it as a, I'm going to give up now because each time you do that and you sit and reflect, you can grow. Resilience is something that does not come overnight. Um, and every time you take a learn, a teachable moment from the setbacks, that's where you, you get the pebble in the rough. So thanks again, Mariah, for being with us. And uh, for everyone listening, if you're needing more information on me, I'm Roxanne Durhaj. I'm a mental health and wellness specialist, a keynote and a coach. So take care and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit RoxanneDurhaj.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time. Unauthentic Living with Roxanne.